This morning we uh, step into this, the, the body of John's letter, having completed the prologue. And we're looking at what is life all about for us as committed followers of Jesus. In this first segment, I believe there's one word that captures it, and it's the word truth. Truth. We know that in Christ we're to be people of truth, for Jesus is the truth. And no doubt we want others to be of the truth as well. I'm sure that some of us are too trusting of others, you know, because we're always looking for the good in them. And sometimes we believe they're speaking the truth too often. Others of us are quite skeptical, you know. Are they really telling the truth? I don't know. Question, a couple of questions for you. Number one, you know, why might we be skeptical of what others say? Could be because after time we've been burn, burned and hurt and deceived and we kind of harden ourselves up. I'm not going to fall for that without investigation, we should say. But then we're talking to other Christians, you know, and we go, oh, you're a Christian, then I'm sure you'll tell me the truth. And they start on with what they believe and do we study it? Do we analyze it? Do we think it through? We should, right? We should question them. I mean, we can't automatically accept just what a professing believer said. Second question. What would a key factor be for us to believe what another Christian is telling us? Well, it should be that, that we know that person. We know that they speak the truth. They're a person of the truth. They're very truth-worthy. They're full of integrity, right? That's what it would take for me to just believe and that, we could say, is really about a relationship. I have a relationship with them. They have a relationship with me. I know them. They know me. And so we have and we know and we believe them out of a relationship. Third question. What about the broad, quote, Christian realm of society? I mean, we hear all kinds of statements like, God helps those who help themselves. Or, or everyone will eventually go to heaven because God doesn't send anyone to hell. Our hell is here on earth. Or all religions worship the same God. Question four. What do we do when we read statements like that or hear statements like that? Well, we better kick ourselves into gear, right? And first go to the Word of God to examine this and say, are they speaking the truth or not? What if it comes from a person that we don't, necessarily hold in high regard what do we do then well we still go to the word of god but then i know what i would do and that's i'd go to another christian friend who i trust we're on the same link and and we i discuss it say what about this what do you think or i'd read an evangelical scholar who's written perhaps and covers that information truth we need to be people of truth we need to know the truth Take your Bibles and turn to our text, 1 John chapter 1. Apostle John, aged, faithful, last living apostle, writing to the church at large. He's this loving pastor. And as we've seen over these last two weeks, studying the prologue, John is reminding the church, the body of Christ, his readers, 
that, that they, the apostles, have proclaimed the truth of who Jesus Christ is. That Jesus is true, eternal God, who has come in flesh. John is writing to the church that is being influenced by a different truth. Now, I mean, that's kind of an oxymoron. How can there be truth and a different truth? One's not speaking the truth, right? And that's John's purpose. He is out to say, this is the truth, and here's why it's the truth. These false teachers, called Gnostics, or knowing ones, they started influencing the church at the end of the first century, but become a very solid group in the second century. His readers knew, as John wrote. John lived with, and his apostle, the apostles, taught with, and touched, and handled, and heard Jesus. These false teachers never had that experience. John is saying, Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe us or them? Know the truth. The, the Gnostics, in their belief, it's in regard to sin, and, and, and they believe that the of matter and spirit were separate entities. And the spirit doesn't have anything to do with sin, but we mortals, our mortalness does sin. But as long as the spirit can't sin, then you're free to sin because it doesn't impact your spirit. So John begins his letter dealing with that topic, sin in the life of the believer. Here's the premise. If we're going to have a right relationship with God, we had better have a right understanding of who we are in terms of sin. From our text this morning, right, these false teachers were saying and believing, again, you can have a right relationship with God and sin doesn't infringe on that relationship. And the truth is, right, our life, it does matter how we live in this life. And we need to see the overriding picture here. Look at verse 5. That is the overriding verse that bridges from his prologue into this next section. He says, this is the message. That word message is a form of the word that he has used up in his previous, in the prologue, proclamation. So he's saying that this is the proclamation that we, the apostles, those of us who were with Jesus, we have heard from him and announce and declare, proclaim to you. So what's the message? That God is light, pure, holy, spotless. He is the opposite of darkness. And here this represents that of sin, the evil. John makes the case in this new section that no one can have a relationship with God who is light, and live in darkness, right? They're separate. You, 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 they're, you, they're mutually exclusive. You cannot have light and darkness at the same time. Not possible. John gives us three claims made by these false teachers. And we're going to hear their claims this morning. Look at verse 6. It's significant to note that John doesn't say, if you or if they claim... He's saying we, if we claim, he's very personal here. He's, he's bringing the church with him. His focus is not on the heretics. He's focused on the well-being of the body of Christ whom he so loves. And he makes this so personal that we are claiming this as Christian. And so we've got to sift through and analyze what is being taught out there. Again, John is dealing here with... 
authentic Christian living, truthful Christian living. And we need to know the truth of who we are in regards to sin. If you got your outline, you want to follow along. We're going to break this out in similar, these three claims. Point one, the truth. We cannot live sinfully and still have a right relationship with God. Right? Not possible. But that's what the heretics were claiming. So, are we going to believe their lie? Or are we going to hear John and what he's taught and the apostles and what they've written? Have there not been times in our lives when we have compromised with sin and still felt we had a right, good relationship with God? Maybe not perfect. Not possible. That's what John's saying. Point A. Let's look at the claim. Look at the beginning of verse 6. One, we're dealing with a relationship. This is a relationship. He uses the word fellowship. We saw that back in verse 3. Fellowship, it means to have in common, to share in common, to partner together. And if we have this partner with God, right, this fellowship with God, if it's genuine, if it's right, this relationship then for sure, if we're sinning, it's going to come to the surface and we will see that sin. If we're in this relationship with God, we all sin. Secondly, we're dealing with a lifestyle. This is not about an act of sin. This is about a way of living. This is about a lifestyle that we live, the sinful lifestyle. You've got to get that clear. John describes the claim, this lifestyle, of a certain group of professing Christians. John is clear how they live. He says they walk in darkness. They're living in darkness. This is, this is an immoral way that they're living. Again, verse 5. How is God described as light, purity? Sin is always a barrier to our partnership with God, our fellowship with God. Point B. We see the contradiction. One, Jesus, John wrote, right? That one, this one who makes this claim, is a liar. You see that? To know God is light, and yet choose to live with sin in your life, where lying, he says, you're deceiving yourself because you can't do it. Point two, this one is not living by the truth. The one who buys into that false claim of these heretics isn't just lying with their words, it's seen in their life. This person doesn't care if sin is present or not. It doesn't matter. So point two, so what's the truth? Look at verse seven. We read, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, right? Together. I'm in the light with Christ, you're in the light with Christ. And the blood of Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. Point one, John gives us the means of our relationship. And it's a right relationship with God. You can't live in darkness in sin and be in the light. That's what John is saying. We have to live in the light, the holiness of God. That's in the present tense, to walk in the light. We're walking in the light. We're continually living in the light, this sphere of the light of God. This person, indeed, this person who's living in the light has a responsive heart to the Word of God, has a responsive heart to the Spirit of God. Point two, we see the evidence of this relationship. Anyone can claim righteousness, but does one's life show righteousness? The evidence of this right relationship with God is seen 
point A, in our fellowship with one another, others. We're to be in partnership, serving together. And, and, and if we have a right relationship with God, who is light, we're going to have a right relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are also in that light. If I've got a sour relationship with a fellow believer who's walking in the light of Christ, what's that tell you about me? It tells I'm making some kind of a compromise in here. There's something going on in my life that isn't right. And it's my relationship with the Lord. It's sin in my life. If I'm holding on to a grudge, if I can't stand your face, if I, if I, I walk away when you come in as a believer, something's wrong, and if there's sin in my life, it's me. That's what John is saying. We're walking in the light. We have fellowship, partnership with one another. Yeah, right here in this room. We're to have that. I don't know if there are any sinful issues between you and another believer who's walking in the light of Christ. Go to that one. Make it right. Clear it up. The evidence of this right relationship, point B, is our cleansing from sin. Jesus is the one who provides for the child of God, this washing away of sin, right? It's the blood of Christ, meaning the death of Christ. That present tense continually, continually purifies, continually cleanses us of our sin. And that's the only reason we can have a right relationship with God, because the blood of Christ continually purifies us. All of our sin, the sin I committed yesterday, the sin I've committed today or will commit today, the sin I will commit tomorrow, it's all been washed, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We can't be living in sin, holding on to sin, be it an attitude, be it an action, and think that we're right with God. That certainly mocks the sacrifice of Christ. You think about what John writes here. He says, all our sin is continually paid for by this one-time action, the death of Christ on the cross. Isn't that amazing? Some application. We've, we must see that we can't be living a sinful lifestyle, sinfully holding and living out sin in our lives, and we and think we possess a right relationship with God because we can't. It's not possible. As we're going to see in a couple in the in the other two applications, we as Christians we do sin, and we need the help of the Lord in our life every day and through the day. The unbeliever may look in you and 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 say to you, "You call yourself a Christian and you just did that? Are you kidding me?" And the answer is, you know, I'm not just a Christian, but I'm a forgiven Christian. It's about the forgiveness of our sin, cleansed by the blood of Christ. From this first point, John is writing to us saying, don't you get confused. Don't let anyone persuade you in your thinking that you have a right relationship with God if you're not in a right relationship with fellow believers. And what breaks that up is a continual living in sin. I, I, I know that. I'm not talking an act of sin. I'm talking this is how they are living. It's not possible. Get rid of the sin. Deal with the sin. If you're living in a sinful lifestyle, a different way of living today, you know if you are. Do something about it today. Get rid of the sin. Confess that sin. 
We've got to know the truth of who we are in regards to sin, point two. And, and it is the truth. Here's the true statement. We are sinners, verse 8 and 9. Right? What's the second false claim? Point A, the claim is, oh, I'm without sin. This is focusing on our sin nature. These heretics don't see the need for Christ's death on the cross because they have no need to be cleansed. That's what they believe. This twisted view right, is that we humans are by nature good. We're good people. And there's a lot of people who believe that, and there's too many people with, even within the church of Jesus Christ that believe that. Oh, I'm not that bad. I mean, I know how that person is. I'm nothing like them. You know, I'm a pretty good person. There's Christians who think like that. Point B, we see the contradiction. And John declares point one, you're being self-deceived here if you think that. There are people who don't see their sinfulness, perhaps because they don't understand how holy and pure God is. Of course, there's that mindset then that allows them to deny the, rea- the responsibility for the sin they commit, right? What else did John say? Point two, this one is not in the truth. Do you see that in verse eight? Look at it. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The truth is, all mankind is born in sin. We are born sinners. By nature, we enter this world in rebellion from God. We have a heart that is bent on sinning. We're facing, every human born is facing the consequences of their sin, eternal death. Was Paul right when he quotes from the Old Testament in Romans 3? For, for, for not one is righteous, no, not what? Not one. To think otherwise, God's truth is not in you. Point C, the truth, verse 9. We sure love this verse, don't we? Point 1, sin must be dealt with. Again, the person, the person who believes that they are without sin, don't, they don't know the truth. Maybe they, maybe they compare themselves to somebody else and conclude, I'm not that bad a person, and it's easy to do that. We do that, right? At least in our minds. Maybe they believe they don't have done anything wrong. They sure don't have anything to apologize for, and they don't. But we're all sinners. We have to deal with that sin. Is there sin in your life, in my life today? I've already gone through this message plenty of times that we have to deal with. So how is that sin sin dealt with? Point two, sin is dealt with through confession, right? We know that. We looked at, if you've memorized verse nine, if you haven't memorized verse nine, memorize verse nine, right? John lays out for us how the child of God is to deal with their sin. And it starts by owning up to the sin we've committed. The scriptures repeatedly tell us what we already know or should know. Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned. All of us come short of the glory of God. We can't hit his, his perfect standard. If a person doesn't see themselves as a sinner, they have nothing to confess. They have nothing to re- repent of, to seek forgiveness. They don't need forgiveness. We know people like that, right? What are we to do, John says? Confess your sin to God. Confession here, this word, this Greek word, is a compound word that means to say the same thing. So I know my sin, and I am to say the same thing about my sin that God says about this, what I've just done, and it's sinful rebellion. This is in the present tense. We are to continually agree with God that this is sin. 
We should, have, we should be living continually in this sense of confession. Now, here's the big question. What did that most recent sin of ours do to us? What did that sin do to us? It made us dirty again. And when we confess our sin to God, He does what? He makes us, what? Clean again. He forgives us our sin. The word forgive here means to send away. Send away. And it has that understanding as dream and talk. The debt has been removed. The debt that we have has been paid in full. It's gone. We are now out of debt. Let's get this. The moment we're born again, look back at verse 7. We take Jesus as our Savior, the sacrifice for our sin. He paid for all our sin. Washed by the blood of Christ. That's our position. That position is called justification. We have been declared righteous before God. And yet you and I are living in this process called, what's the other word? Sanctification. It's a process by which we become more holy, holier than we were yesterday. That's a process. This is our position. Why will God forgive us? Look at the words in 1 John 1.9. Look at the words. Because God is faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to his word. And then the next, he is just. So if the means of forgiveness is provided to be a just God, he will forgive. He's just. Jesus made the payment for my sin. And as a just God, he forgives me of my sin. He doesn't hold a grudge against me. He doesn't keep accusing me. He's forgiven me. That's exactly what he does. He cleanses us. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that wonderful? Your debt, my debt's been paid in full. This is all accomplished by the shed blood of Christ when he died on that cross. That's the payment made. When we were born into the family of God, it is then that we were rescued out of the consequence of our sin and we were forgiven and made whole. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says what? If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You have a new heart, and the old is gone. Trick question. Don't answer it out loud. Do we ever need a new heart again? The answer is two letters. No. I don't need a new heart. I've been given a new heart. When? When I placed my faith in Jesus, the old boobar died, and the new boobar is alive happened at a point in time when I embraced Christ as my Savior. Same for you. What do we need to do over and over and over? Get our 30 feet washed. This is what we're going to look at. I love that. I think the best picture of this comes from John chapter 13 and the Passover that Jesus is going to celebrate right before he is betrayed, right? You can look at the account. You can just look at the pictures. The meal, the Passover meal is served. Then and, 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 and Jesus gets up from the meal, and, and he does what a servant was supposed to do. But there were no servants there, and none of those disciples were going to do this. But Jesus does. He comes to Peter. Right? He gets on his feet, knees to wash the disciples' feet. And then he comes to Peter. And, and, and Peter says to Jesus, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replies, you do not realize what I am doing now, but later you will understand. No. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, 
you have no part of me. Oh, then, Lord, Peter replied, not just my feet, but my, my hands and my head. All of me. Wash all of me. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a what? What's he going to say? The person who has had a bath, right, only needs to get his what washed? His feet washed. Do we get this? Do we see this? And then Jesus says to them, you are clean, though not every one of you. And he's talking about Judas. What is this about? In Christ, Peter and those disciples, yes, Jesus had not yet gone to the cross, but he's teaching them. They have their faith in him. And they're believers, but they're still trusting for the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Jesus is dealing with as if that's already happened. We are, must be totally clean to be a believer. By faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our sacrifice, we've been bathed. That's our point of bathe, of our bath, for the disciples. Peter, he says, I want, I want to be a part of you, so wash all of me. And Jesus reminded him, you're already cleaned. You've already been cleansed by faith, born again. We know that happens at a point in time. Jesus has already taught that. But what do we need to do? We need to get our feet clean again. We've already been cleansed by the shed blood of Christ. Verse 9, John tells us to confess our sins. Agree with God that what we're doing today is sinful. And so I have to come to him not to be bathed, but to say, my feet are dirty again, Lord. Forgive me, cleanse me anew. And he does. We need those feet washed whenever they get dirty again. Some application. What's the truth about us and sin? We all possess a, birth, a sin, sin nature at birth. We all are sinners. Deny that, to deny that is crazy. Look around us. We who know the scriptures, we know. Someone who has a sense of moral rightness knows all the corruption that goes on around us. Yet at the end of the first century, there were professing Christians who were saying the truth is, we don't sin anymore. In a different way today, I don't think people are denying in those words. They just say, doing wrong is no big deal. You know, everyone does what is right, book of Judges, in their own eyes. John is reminding us, don't be influenced by these false teachers. We're all sinners, but there is a solution to make things right every day. That's verse 9. Confess your sin. How's your feet this morning? Do your feet need to be washed again today, this morning? Confess that sin today. We need to know the truth of who we are in regards to sin, point three. The third truth, we all sin. Now these words refer to acts of sin. Point A, the claim, it's we have not sinned. If that claim is true, then we don't need Christ's sacrifice and God is a liar. If one believes that, they sure don't understand the gift of salvation. These Gnostics, these knowing ones, they thought knowledge was their way out to know and to be enlightened and that we don't sin. And Point B, the contradiction. Look at the middle of verse 10. Look at it. To make this claim is not just a straight-out lie and you're deluded. It's much worse than that. Point one, it makes God out to be a liar. These false teachers 
right? This false teaching is similar to verse 8, but it's more defiant. It makes a mockery of the gospel. It states that God has no reason to demonstrate his grace and mercy toward us, for us, through the death of his son. We have no sin, so God's a liar. Well, if we buy into that false teaching point too, this, this one has no place for God's word. That's what John writes. God declares sin to be universal. God's word also tells us that he sent his son, the Savior, to die as a rescue for our sin. And the truth is, we sin. We know that. Let's own up to it. Point C. So what's the truth? One, the truth is we are not to sin. Chapter one, chapter two, rather, verse one. This is where John, uh, the symmetrical uh, construction of John changes here in this first verse. He, he appeals to them now as you who I dearly love, my dearly loved children, how I love you, right? The way John has been arguing in chapter one, you could make it to sound like so after I'm born again and I'm all cleansed with a new heart and if I sin all I got to do is confess my sin and then I can go sin again and then all I have to do is confess my sin again and then and then and I'm free to sin again because if I sin again I know that I can be forgiven again I know people like that I don't want it to be me that's not the Christian life that's still living in darkness these, that person doesn't know the, sin, the, the, the gift of God's salvation. John, John now gives us a purpose statement. Look at verse 1. I write, this to, I write this to you for the purpose, or so that you will not sin. Don't sin. As children of God, we are not to sin. We're not to condone sin in our lives. Not a little bit of sin, not any sin. We're not to make excuses for our sin. How often do we do that? God will understand. Sin is to be excluded from our lives. There's, not, there's no question about that. Sin is to be resisted. Don't give in to sin. Our intent as a believer is not to sin. But we do sin, John writes. And we know that we sin. And there's good news for those of us who do sin. And here it is, verse point two. We are not helpless when we sin. In this great middle of verse one. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Point A, Jesus is our advocate. Advocate. We know from John's writing and Jesus' teaching, John records it, that Jesus speaks about the advocate as another. The Holy Spirit is another advocate, but Jesus is the advocate who stands before the Father and pleads for us at his right hand interceding. So what's an advocate? He's the counsel for the defense. Jesus is our defense lawyer before God the Father. Isn't that quite a thought? How many cases do you think Jesus loses? Jesus goes to the Father because of our sin. And only Jesus can do it because both God and man, who is without sin, who paid the penalty for our sin, thus he can plead for our case because he paid the debt. Do we see that? And therefore we can be forgiven paid in full. 
But not only is Jesus our advocate, Jesus is also our atoning, our, our, our atoning sacrifice. John's writing that Jesus, through his death, his sacrifice, satisfied the anger of God towards sin, paid the price of sin, that through his death, our sins can be forgiven. We can now be made holy and pure in his sight. That's how God required that. Punishment for sin is eternity in hell. But the sacrifice of Christ satisfied God's anger, so by faith in him I can be forgiven. Point C, Jesus is a sacrifice for all who would believe. John adds that the efficacy of this sacrifice is not just confined to a certain group of people. Rather, it reaches out to all people. What does that show us? All mankind is lost and in need of salvation through the death of Christ. There's only one way to righteousness. There is only one way to God the Father, not many ways. John is not saying that all people can have their sins forgiven and they all can go to heaven because Jesus died for all, whether they believe it or not. It's applied to them. That's not what John is writing. John is saying that the sacrifice of Christ is offered made for the sacrifice of the whole world. He died for all. But all, me personally, you personally, everyone in this world, need to then place their faith and trust in this one who died for them, to be their rescuer, their redeemer. The efficacy of the blood of Christ is available to all who would believe, but you have to what? Believe, trust, place your faith in Christ people all around us. They're like first century teachers, these false teachers, where they've changed what sin is and who God is. People today, they don't see themselves as sinners. They don't see themselves in need of being rescued. They're okay just like they are, and they don't care. We have to remember what John is writing is not to the false teachers. He's writing to the church And he's saying, will you wake up and understand what sin is to a holy God? And if you're going to have a right relationship with him, you cannot be living and tolerating sin in your life. Can't do it. So we're born again into the family of God. We've placed Jesus as our Savior. And we've been made new. And we've been bathed. And the price was paid. And we've been brought with that price. Now as I live my daily life, I don't need a bath again. But I know I've got to stop going down that dirty path. I need to stop this dirty action because that gets my feet dirty again and again and again. i got to come to a, you do too, a point in our life where we say, when, when can I live such a way that Jesus can stop having to advocate for me. Don't we? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for advocating. He does. But shouldn't we get to a point in our heart and minds where we say, I'm not going that way. I'm not going to read this. I'm not going to sleep with her. I'm not going to take that. 
There's got to be a point in our life where we say, I'm not going down that path because I'll get my feet dirty again. John says, don't sin. You can't argue from that one. But when you do, thank Jesus. He pleads his case for us. So we can get our dirty feet washed again. Let's live for him. Let's bow in prayer. It's about. I want you to think I want you to pray. For believers, non-believers, if, if you're here or you're watching online and you might say, I know I need a bath. I have not come to Jesus to have him cleanse me. And that happens at a point in time. Point in time. My sister and brother-in-law were here. They're missionaries, retired missionaries, working with their son who's a missionary in Uganda. And right now they're ministering with a lot of deaf people. And there were these two girls, deaf, who went to a church. Of course, they were deaf. But, but no one ever explained to them in this, all the signing that they took in that, that they had to have a personal relation with Jesus. Through signage, Mary led them both to Jesus. We have to have a response to the gospel. That's when we're bathed. If you're watching, if you're here, and you've not been bathed by faith in Jesus, where you said, Jesus, I'm taking you, do it now. Make that decision now. You can pray from your heart. You silently can say, Jesus, I need a bath from you. Jesus, you died on that cross. Paid the penalty of my sin. And I ask you to wash me and cleanse me. Forgive me. Today, I receive you as my Savior. If you've made that decision, please let me know that. Talk to me after this service, even when we close our song. Take another moment to the believer here. I want us all to look at our hearts and say, how dirty are my feet today? Am I living a sinful lifestyle? That's a bigger issue. You know whether you're in a sinful relationship with another person, living, having a sexual relationship with someone who's not your spouse, or you're into pornography, or, or you've you're got a temper issue and you just can't break it, or, or you're just mean or selfish, or obnoxious, continually. We gotta do something. You have to do something. Get a Christian help. Confess that again. You don't need a bath again, but you need to surrender anew your heart to Jesus. For all of us this morning, if you've got dirty feet, Maybe it's a, a point in time that you've got to deal with that in a real way. I invite you, yes, you can pray from your seat. It doesn't matter where we are, we can pray. But I invite you, as a few in the first service came and knelt here at the front, because this will be a moment for you. Today is a day I need to get my feet washed again. Or this morning, if you experienced the bath. But as a Christian, if you need your feet washed again, and again, because it's been too often a repetitive issue. I don't care what it is. 
make it a moment. Yes, you can pray from your seat. Make it a moment. Come here, kneel at the front. Write it in your Bibles. Today is that day. Share that with somebody. Talk to somebody. I invite you, let's stand. We're going to sing. You can pray from where you're standing. You can come to the front and say, Lord, I, I need this moment to be impacting in my life. This is Pastor Corey Kugel, and thank you so much for listening today. Make sure you also hit subscribe and then visit our website, which is yourplacetobelong.com. There you can keep up with all that's happening at the chapel. Our building is located at 4250 Washington Avenue in St. Joseph, Michigan. We hope you'll visit us on a Sunday morning for one of our worship services at 9 or 1035, either in person or online. Thanks again for listening.